Yeah, this is the most tanned I will ever be. I don't normally tan, so I'm pretty proud of myself. Worn a short sleeve dress so that you can all admire my tan. Um, <laughs> those buffet breakfasts were amazing. Actually, this time last week, we were having a buffet breakfast, and the most amazing thing in Fiji is that they just worship unashamedly. And um, they were, the guys were playing their guitars and worshipping, and we were all eating our breakfast. And I just looked around the room thinking, here are people from all different backgrounds, different countries, and um, in paradise listening to worship music. And it was just, it was beautiful. It was really good. Um, before we begin, I just felt during worship, how good was worship? So good. Uh, there's something powerful when we come together in unity and with one voice and we declare God's goodness and we declare His promises over us. And it was, it was beautiful. Um, and I just felt during worship to pray for people who are hurting, to pray for people who are carrying hurt, grief, um, pain that's suffocating at times, pain that is unbearable. And it's, it's like you've tried to place it down at the feet of Jesus with good intention and to stand up and to move forward. And even coming into 2024, it was like, I'm going to leave that behind now. That's done. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to move on. And yet here we are, 21 days into January, and it still feels so raw and so heavy. And I just feel that God is saying, wait. We hate that word, but wait. Wait in the discomfort. Wait in the pain. Wait in the grief. Wait in the hurt. Wait on me, says the Lord. Wait on me because He will meet you where you're at. And it's not going to be in your own strength of standing up and walking forward, but it's as you meet with Him, as you dwell with Him, as you um, experience Him freely, that He will lift you up on the wings of the eagle and then you will soar. It will be in His strength and it will be for His glory. Amen? So I know you've just sat down, but can we please stand for a moment? And I would just love to pray for you. If that's you, um, maybe just lift your hands if you feel comfortable in front of you and let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a good, good father. Lord, I thank you that your love never ends that your love never ceases, your love never fails, and yet your love meets us where we are at. That, Lord, you meet us where we are at. So, Lord, for the people who are feeling just that weight, that pain, that heaviness of hurt, of grief, Father, we speak peace into the situation. We speak hope into the situation. We speak your refreshing power over them, Lord, that as they dwell with you, Father, that they would know your spirit upon them, that they would know your enveloping love surrounding them, that they would know that it is in your strength that they will be lifted. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for the promises you give, for the hope that you speak. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, that's close. Well, as always, it's God, what are you speaking? What would you like to say this morning? And I had one word, Jesus. Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all because of Him. It's all for Him. 
So we're going to keep bringing it back to Jesus. I actually gave my message to Mr. Ideas Man over here, Sean Sutcliffe, and um, I said, can you come up with a better title? <laughs> I can't think of anything else. And he couldn't even. So we're just sticking with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Um, we're going to be looking at how Jesus' coming changes everything. His coming to earth changed everything, and specifically how Jesus' coming reveals who God is. How Jesus' coming reveals the meaning of Scripture, and how Jesus' coming reveals how we are to reach our world in a beautiful way. So can you turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, or it's going to be on the screen, to John. John 1, 1 to 18. I love the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus reveals God. It's as plain and as simple as that. Jesus reveals what God is like. You know, we tend to have our own ideas about what God is like, formed through our childhood perhaps in the way that we've seen our own earthly father, um, formed in the way that we've heard God portrayed in sermons and messages, how he's been portrayed to us through other people, both positively and negatively. And this is not a bad thing. This is a natural thing that we do. However, as mature Christ followers, we need to be um, consciously understanding the nature of what God is like. So let's be clear, God is like Jesus. Jesus reveals God. Jesus is the message of God. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the full and faithful witness to how God is to be understood. God the Father, 
God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one. You know, we often tend to take the oneness of God for granted and we, we focus on the Trinity. Um, and again, this is a natural thing because that's the revelation that we have received. But to overlook the oneness of God can sometimes lead to a complete lack of appreciation for the understanding of what God is like, of who God is. When Jesus was asked... What, is the most, what are the most important words um, in the Bible? Taking into consideration he was Jewish and the New Testament hadn't been written, so he couldn't quote from John. Jesus quoted words that are considered the most important a Jew can know. And those words are Shema, Yisrael, Adonai, Elohim, Adonai, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. When a Jewish scholar asked Jesus to name the most important commandment with all of the Old Testament to choose from, Jesus begins his answer that many of us would perhaps dismiss as insignificant. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us would know that Jesus said that to love God wholeheartedly is the most important commandment and to love our neighbour as ourself is second. But how many of us realise that Jesus prefaced both of those with the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. If Jesus places the Shema at the head of the most important commandments we can know, there must be something important to learn from that. God is one is the foundation for virtually everything we can know about the Lord. The oneness of God means that there is no composite nature to his character. There's not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. God is whatever he is in the most complete and pure way possible, meaning no characteristic can apply to him in a limited or partial way. God is like a flawless diamond. You know, when people say a gem is without flaws, meaning that it, um, it doesn't contain different grains or it doesn't contain a combination of colours. It is only one thing. God is what he is and the fullness of that revelation comes through Jesus Christ, who is himself God, Emmanuel, God with us. So what we saw in Jesus, the mercy and the compassion that he showed, the grace and the love and the forgiveness that he extended, the command to love others and to bring the kingdom of God closer to earth. That is what God has to say. That is what God is like. That is what we need to fix our eyes on and set our hearts upon. God is fully revealed in Christ. Before Christ, we had the Torah which pointed in the direction of God. We had people like John who came 
um, and he said he was coming as a witness to testify concerning that light so that all through him might believe, but he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The full revelation of who God is, is in Jesus Christ. Jesus coming also reveals the meaning of Scripture. You know, we can go, well, what about the Bible? What about the God of the Old Testament, the God of vengeance and the God of wrath and the God of judgment? Some of the most controversy between churches and between Christians comes down to our interpretation of Scripture, right? Depending on the views and the beliefs that you hold to, people can use and people do use the Bible to defend their beliefs. You could be a national supporter and use the Bible as your defence. You could be a Labour supporter and use the Bible as your defence. You could be a Republican or a Democrat and use the Bible as your defence. You could be a communist or a capitalist and use the Bible as your defence. Back when slavery was prolific in America, people used the Bible to defend this belief. Even while speaking of God of the Bible, we can piece together whatever vision of God we choose to from its contrasting images and um, that we do this mostly subconsciously doesn't help matters. Even if we restrict our thinking into the nature of God to the Bible, we are actually likely to find the kind of God that we want to find. If you want to find a God of war, he's there. If you want to find a God of peace, he's there. If you want to find a vindictive God, he's there. If you want to find a compassionate God, he's there. If you want to find a God demanding blood sacrifice, he's there. If you want a God abolishing blood sacrifice, he's there. You know, sometimes reading the Bible reveals more about ourselves and the beliefs we hold to than it does about Jesus. And therefore... We need to be aware of the lens that we are reading and interpreting and taking meaning from the Bible with. Whether consciously or subconsciously, we need to re-examine whether our own upbringing, the church that we've been raised in, our own social and cultural and political leaning influences the way that we take meaning from the Bible. Got an amen from a dog. <laughs> the question we need to ask ourselves, I need to ask myself and you need to ask yourself, is am I reading this through the lens of Jesus? Because it is Jesus who reveals Scripture. In Luke 24, we read about when Jesus has risen from the cross. And there are the two men who are walking to Emmaus and they're talking about all that has happened. And when Jesus approaches them, he asks them what they're talking about and they're surprised to find that he doesn't know what has happened. And yet he says to them, um, Luke 24 verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Then later on in verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand scripture. Lord, open our minds so that we may understand Scripture. Their minds were opened by Christ to understand Scripture, to then go back into the Old Testament and read it in this light or into the Jewish Bible and read it in this light. We don't read the Old Testament to reveal Christ or to understand Christ. We look to Jesus to understand the Old Testament. You know, as we open up our Bibles, we all know where the Bible starts and where it finishes. We know that it starts with Revelation and Genesis and ends with Revelation. But that's not where we start. We don't start at Genesis and then stumble across Jesus a thousand or so pages later. As Christians, as Christ followers, Jesus is our Alpha and Omega. He was the Word at the beginning. He is our beginning for us. With that lens, with that light, in the understanding of who he is and of who he reveals God to be, we then read and interpret and take meaning from Scripture. Now, I've said this a lot of times out at North, and I'll say it again. This is not about having a low view of the Bible at all. Have a high view of the Bible, but have a higher view of Jesus. Because Jesus is the full revelation of who God is, and it could not be contained in a book, but it could be contained in the human life of Jesus. Third, Jesus reveals how to reach our world in a beautiful way. Jesus coming and Jesus teaching did not and does not eliminate the Bible, the Hebrew Bible from our consideration. But Jesus coming and Jesus teaching does affect the way that we read them and the way we live it. It does affect the way that we love God and we love others. Because no longer do we use Scripture to back up our own ideas and our own beliefs. No longer do we defend ourselves till we're blue in the face trying to convince an atheist or an agnostic but instead we read Scripture in the view of Jesus to grow a better understanding of who God is revealed to be and therefore how we can bear the love of Christ to those around us. You know, there's a lot of ugliness in our world, right? We all know that. There's a lot of ugliness within ourselves and we're all too aware of that ourselves. There can be a lot of ugliness within the church and between churches and between Christians. And there can also be a lot of ugliness in the way that we share the gospel in the way that we sometimes represent Jesus in the way that we um, share who he is. When we look outwardly and when we look inwardly, where is the beauty? In an ideal world... Christianity should be known as a beautiful religion. But if we ask that question, would we get a resounding yes? 
We know that it is. We know the beauty because we've been transformed and we've had the revelation and the truth and the knowledge of the goodness of God. My question is not, is Christianity a beautiful religion? It is. But to the world, is Christianity known as a beautiful religion? Are Christians known to be beautiful people? You know, for years since the Greek philosophers and actually right into the early church, the virtues of God have largely been based on three foundations, the truth, the good, and the beauty. And these are correct, and we know that these encompass who God is and envelop who he is. He is the ultimate truth. He is what is right, and he is altogether beautiful. The issue is Christian apologetics or the truth has not always been presented well. And if we're honest, as the whole church, the truth at times can be a bit hit and miss. Some truths that we hear preached from the pulpit is more about someone's interpretation um, or giving this feel-good life lesson. Christian ethics or the good or what's right and wrong, again, has not always reached people because one thing has been taught and then another thing has been done. We have heard all too often the abuse within church and institutions associated with the church. Churches that have misappropriated funds, people that raise their hands on a Sunday and then use those same hands to abuse Monday to Saturday. Churches that can be very righteous in some areas and then bend the rules in other areas where it suits. So going out into our community and saying to our community, we have the absolute truth and we know what's good for you. Come to C3 City Church at 9.30 on a Sunday isn't going to cut it. Yes, we have the truth, and yes, we know the goodness of Jesus, but that's not what's necessarily going to draw others to Christ. Saying that we have superior truth and saying that we have superior ethics will be met with some suspicion, and unfortunately for good reason. Which brings us to Christian aesthetics, the beauty What is beautiful? How do we show beauty? How do we represent the Christ-like form of beauty? There needs to be this beautiful form that we embody as Christians if we are going to draw others to the beauty of Christ. Being Christ-like. Crucified, arms stretched out, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Humbled the most beautiful act where the sins of the world was absorbed and transformed into nothing but love and mercy. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We need to be beautiful. We need to look at how we posture ourselves. How do we posture ourselves as individuals when reaching our community, but also how do we as the church here at C3 City Church, how do we posture ourselves to reach the community? Koha dinners, beautiful. How does the church, that church, the bride of Christ, how does the bride of Christ posture itself to reach our world? 
Yes, we absolutely need to ask if it's good and if it's true, but we also need to ask, is it beautiful? The people coming in our doors, the people that we meet and share with, they are the ones who are going to judge if it's beautiful. Are we representing the beauty of Christ? So in order to answer that, we need to define what is beauty. Jesus is beauty. So let's start there. Humble, gracious, authentic, compassionate, full of mercy, full of grace, full of love, gentle, bold. The list goes on. In John 8, there is a woman who has been caught in adultery. And she's about to be stoned for her actions, as the law of Moses commanded. The Pharisees put it to Jesus. They put him on the spot. They tested him. Well, what do you say? And how does Jesus respond? Verse 7, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When the crowd of Pharisees were ready to stone this woman caught in adultery, Jesus didn't come along and spur on the righteous crowd. What Jesus did was to break the group up by getting them to individually self-reflect. And this is a beautiful story because Jesus took the ugliness of the crowd out of it. They came as this bloodthirsty mob wanting to stone this woman, wanting just to serve, but they left as individuals contemplating their own sin. You know, rage, no matter how justified, could not have done this. The crowd ready to stone the woman knew they were right. They had Bible verses to prove it. But throwing stones at those in the wrong is not the way of Jesus because it's not the way of love. Jesus wasn't just trying to save the woman caught in adultery. He was also trying to save the individuals within the crowd from their own ugliness. Righteous rage would have ended in the ugliness of someone being stoned. But Jesus saved everyone involved through the acts of contemplation and forgiveness. And this is beautiful. And this is the beauty that we need to imitate. Church, we need to be and we need to speak and we need to act with beauty at the forefront of our minds. Because that is what's going to draw others closer to the beauty of Christ, where then truth and goodness can be revealed. We need to be bigger than the ugliness that we see. We need the beauty in us to be bigger than the ugliness we see, and we need the beauty to dissipate the ugliness that we see. When we see things that we know are wrong, 
like the religious Pharisees, when we are justified in anger and in rage, this is when we need to be and bring the beauty more than ever. Our goal, our great commission is to go out into all the world and to make disciples. So as we dwell, as we seek to dwell faithfully in such a fallen world, where it's an ever-growing struggle to convince anyone that objective truth and morality even exist anymore, perhaps if we can first show that Christianity is beautiful, then maybe people will be willing to consider if it's true and good. If the band want to come now, please. The outstretched arms of Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. The most beautiful act ever seen and ever witnessed. That a father would send his son to earth to reconcile and to right what was so wrong with the world, knowing that men would kill him. The most beautiful act ever seen and ever witnessed. We can never be Jesus but we can sure do our best to imitate him. Love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, generosity, humility. This is what we need to be doing. And this is how we can be in the world, but not of the world. When the world says to get angry and to fight, how can we be in, but not of? When in our own humanness, we just want to slap that person across the face or we want to send a missile to that country when we just want to get revenge. What about the beautiful act of being on bended knee, asking God for wisdom and discerning what He is wanting of us? We need to be and we need to bring the beauty into this world because that is what is going to be bring about the change that we are all so desperate to see. Jesus coming changed everything. It changed everything and it should change everything. Jesus didn't come to save us from God as some theories would leave us, lead us to believe. Jesus came to reveal God as Saviour. Jesus didn't come to enable God to love us. Jesus came to reveal God as love. Jesus didn't come to reconcile God to the world. Jesus came to reconcile the world to God. God is like Jesus absorbing, forgiving, and taking away the sins of the world. Jesus coming changed everything. He reveals who God is. He reveals the meaning of Scripture. And He reveals how we are to reach our world in such a beautiful and powerful way. Amen. Why don't you stand with me?
as we worship, I want to encourage us all just to make more room for Him in 2024. Let's make room for Jesus to move in such a powerful and beautiful way within us. Within us first. And I want to open up this altar. If you are hungering more of Jesus, if you are hungering to know what God is like more and hungering more of Jesus, I want you to come forward. We've got an incredible team of people who would love to pray for you, pray with you, pray over you. 2024, let this be the year that you are marked by wanting to hunger Jesus more. It's all about Him. It's all for Him. What we do is all for Him, for His glory. So even now, as we begin to worship, why don't you come forward? If you are hungering, if you want more of a hunger for Jesus, come forward. Let this be your time where you are marked. Let 2024 be your year. He was where I